Hello and welcome to the Witch Shorts podcast. I'm Rob Lilly. Now this week we are in for a treat and a much needed escape from those cold winter days. Today we're heading to Australia and specifically the western city of Perth. We're going to meet the locals, the people and the wildlife and hear more about arguably one of the most fascinating places on earth. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review too, because it will really help others find this podcast, and we'd really appreciate it. Now then, on to this week's episode. I'm going to hand you over to narrator Harry Kind, and he's going to take us through this piece, originally written by Rory Boland, the editor of Witch Travel. The place I feel the greatest sense of belonging is on the number 7 bus from Tamworth's Victoria Road. It's a journey I took so many times as a child that each detail, each stop is familiar still. You'll have a journey like this too, where you know the curve of every corner and recognise every doorway. These journeys are unremarkable, or mine is at least. A 13 minute trundle along B roads, edged by grass verges shorn too short by the council, splintered by grey fences and wide concrete roundabouts turned yellow in spring by daffodils. I still remember where puddles pooled in the road and leaves bunched up in the gutter when it rained. But it's the feeling it gave that's remarkable, a familiarity that lends a sense of belonging. It's a feeling I always want to find on holiday, to move past the exciting but unsettling experience of being a stranger and understand what it's like to really live somewhere to inhabit a place rather than visit. Which brings me to the Honeycup Way in Florit, a suburb of Perth, for a month-long house swap. Instead of the anonymity of a hotel room, I have three bedrooms, a fully kitted out kitchen, and even a barbie to throw a shrimp on in the backyard. The retiree owners, Jim and Anne, are lounging at my place in London while I try to live, at least for a short time, like a Perthy. Of course, on arrival, the excitement kicks in. I'm wooed the Aussie way, swept off my feet by the sunshine that bathes every corner of the house in light, by the lizard baking in the back garden. It's that immediate sense of being somewhere extraordinary. And Western Australia is truly extraordinary. Take the plants. 60% of the nearly 12,000 species of wildflowers that grow here grow only here. It means almost everywhere you look, whether you're in a national park or even just walking to the shop, You're surrounded by flora you've never seen before. And colour. Happy, uplifting blooms of inky red, purple and blue. It's enough to drive this ambivalent gardener to Kings Park, one of the world's largest inner city parks, for a proper introduction. Kings Park was established three years after the Swan River Colony was set up in 1829. This British origin is evident through the main entrance on Fraser Avenue, a broad boulevard of statement-sized trees and well-tended flowerbeds, lined with plinths and plaques to young men lost in the wars of empire. It could be Hyde Park. But beyond the park keeper's lodge is 900 acres of lush bushland and gardens. It's so big you can almost escape entirely into the wilderness. At one stage, I find myself in a bend of dirt track alone, surrounded by giant bulging red cones of firewood banksia, insectoid bristles of five metre tall eucalyptus, and the orange flame blooms of kangaroo paw. It's otherworldly. I half expect to make first contact with E.T. behind the Jara trees. Instead, I meet Kara, 
a volunteer running one of the park's guided walks. She's telling a small group how the giant baobab tree behind her was relocated 2,000 miles from the Kimberley region in the north of Western Australia to save it from developers. Along the way, Kara explains, it was blessed by the Gija people, whose land it stood on, then driven down the Great Northern Highway by police escort where whole towns came out to applaud it. Quite an achievement for a tree that's almost 14 metres tall, 8 metres wide and almost as old as Genghis Khan. It's the centrepiece of what Kara describes as a living encyclopedia of Western Australian plants. The 17-hectare botanic garden documents the fauna of the goldfields, where the red dirt holds 30% of the world's gold, and Australia's verdant wheat belt. There are sections for the Stirling mountain ranges, the tropical savanna of Kimberley, and vineyards of the southwest. A lesson that Western Australia is less a region, more a continent in microcosm. If Western Australia were a country, it would be the 10th largest in the world. Perth is the gateway to all of this, but in some ways it's a dull city. Most of the downtown bars and restaurants are forgettable. There are relatively few galleries or theatres, and the heritage buildings are blighted by advertising hoardings that hide any sense of place. Perth has 2 million people, but even the newly minted skyscrapers can't hide the fact that it feels sleepy. And if downtown is sleepy, the suburbs are out for the count. Back in Honeycup Way, I empty the bins, check the postbox, and walk to the bus without ever really seeing anyone. Like many Perth suburbs, the neighbourhood feels comparatively wealthy compared with many British estates. The houses are new, the roads and pavements are pristine, but the price for cleanliness is emptiness. It's a week until I run into a neighbour. James blames the empty streets on car culture. You can't walk to anything. What he means is, there are no corner shops or greasy spoons at the end of the road, everything is shoved into suburban shopping centres or single street commercial districts. Which isn't to say these districts are bad. Wembley, my nearest, has a classic Federation-style L-shaped pub, a bakery serving delicious meat pies crimped on site, and a coffee shop where I've no idea what the right answers are to the complicated questions the barista asks, but I know I'll never ever go back to Costa. It's a lovely little neighbourhood, but the same as all the other little neighbourhoods. This lack of imagination led locals to nickname WA the Wait a While State, a reflection of its laid-back nature, but also the pace at which it embraces new ideas. Other Aussies are more brutal. Perth is the boring city. But that rather misses the point. Not every city should be measured in farmers' markets and artisanal cheese shops. Instead, what Perth does is put that continent of unique landscapes and animals on your doorstep. How many cities have a metro bus service that can take you to an island of kangaroos, a wetland den of tiger snakes, 50 miles of pristine beach or riverlands filled with vineyards? Where else can you step off a city street into a mountain bushland trail that goes deep into the outback? Where else can you cuddle quokkas? Don't cuddle the quokkas! You can heed this warning from the many signs on Rottnest Island itself, or, more viscerally as I did, by watching a frantic man have his leg nibbled by one of these cute scrub wallabies in a tummy-tickling session that went awry. The quokka is Australia's friendliest creature, apparently. Just 12 miles off the coast, Rottnest Nature Reserve is a little slice of paradise. It's famous for celebrities like Roger Federer taking selfies with the 10,000 resident quokkas, 
but it also has the sort of white sand beaches you thought only came in brochures, and hiking trails through pink lakes and bushland. Visitor numbers are restricted by the limited ferry access. I'm here out of season, and by the time I sink my feet in at Basin Beach, I'm completely alone. Momentarily. As I stare out beyond the transparent turquoise water to where the ocean darkens, a humpback whale bursts above a wave. The white of its belly curves above the skyline and splashes back into the water. I watch for minutes in silence, a moment of complete joy. Whales are all well and good, but nobody will believe you went to Australia if you don't return with a wallet full of kangaroo pictures. The first glimpse comes quickly, hopping along the road between vineyard visits in the Swan Valley wine country, 30 minutes from the city centre. She takes 10 skips, then ducks into the bush. But the thing is with kangaroos, you can never get enough. I see more on Harrison Island, a city park just off downtown in the middle of the Swan River. The western greys here are easy to find, wild but fenced in, presumably to stop them digging into the premium grass at the Wacker Cricket Ground across the road. Still, there's something remarkable about watching city workers nonchalantly swipe at phones while kangaroos mooch at their feet. In John Forest National Park up in the Perth Hills, I hike through eucalyptus woodlands and Jara Forest in search of wild kangaroos. It's an easy trail along a removed railway line, with the former embankments providing a canvas for fields of thousands of wildflowers. Fantastically, it also positions you in the eyeline of birds of prey patrolling the forest floor. Ordinarily, falcons and wedge-tailed eagles swooping across thermals would be a blockbuster attraction in their own right, but Australia makes you greedy. I want ruse. I casually meet more local wildlife at lunch, taking a break at the National Park Falls, a gushing stream of water in a ravine of giant-sized rust-red boulders. I'm joined by giggling kids, ignoring instructions from their parents not to dip in the water, and hikers, togged out to conquer Mars, who nod a firm hello. Three playful parrots perch on my shoulder to complete this idyllic scene, before I realise they're only interested in pinching my pie. I'm halfway home before I found what I came for. As dusk arrives, so do a pair of wallabies, mother and child rustling in the forest under sunlight strained through the tree canopy. I stop and stare. So do they. A mutual safari. I crouch, and incredibly, slowly, over several minutes, they approach to an arm's length. They stay for a moment or two. A marvellous moment or two. These singular experiences mean I never fully escape that holidaymaker excitement. I make progress, though. After a month of catching the 998 bus, I know every curve, every stop. The bus driver even gives me an earned nod as I board. I know what time the local bakery sells out of my favourite meat pies, and I can answer half the questions from the local barista. I also become more blasé about incredible encounters, more perthy. In Cottesloe, regularly ranked Australia's best beach, Dolphins suddenly dance through the crashing waves as the sun dips behind them into the Indian Ocean. Over on the boardwalk of Shoalwater Beach, I sip coffee while a squadron of pelicans with vast wingspans fly overhead towards an island packed with snoozing penguins. By the time I arrive at Yan Chep National Park at the tip of Perth suburbs, it feels normal to idly talk rugby with locals over Swan Lager at the Yanchep Inn, while dozens of kangaroos loll in the beer garden idly scratching. 
and I barely noticed the koalas hanging out of the eucalyptus trees in the back. But that is what Perth does. This ordinary city makes the extraordinary every day. Perth is the only Australian city with a direct flight from the UK, but it takes a whopping 17 hours with Qantas, and is usually the priciest option. Otherwise, choose from Cathay Pacific, Emirates, Malaysian Airlines and Singapore Airlines for flights with one connection. These take about 20 hours. Domestic fares are expensive, so there is no advantage to connecting in Australia. Thank you so much to Harry and thank you to Rory Boland too, the author of that piece originally written for the January issue of the Witch Travel Magazine. Remember, you can find more articles you'll find useful every day on everything from money and technology to home and garden advice by signing up for one of our many free email newsletters. And you can do that at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletters. We'll be back next week for another episode of Witch Shorts. And thanks for listening. Witch Shorts was produced by me, Rob Lilly, while the exec producer was Angus Farker. <laughs>